Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to episode number 21 from Delving into Islam Q&A. This is your host, Wa'il, and it is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a privilege that I'm able to talk to you about the religion of Islam and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowing me to share my knowledge with you. Thank you so much for listening and participating and sending in all your questions and suggestions. Now, speaking of which, if you have any questions or suggestions, please email me at delvingintoislam at gmail.com. Again, delvingintoislam at gmail.com, and I will get back to you as soon as possible, inshallah. Also, if you want to uh, learn about the release dates uh, or the break dates uh, of the episodes ahead of time, you can follow me on Instagram at delvingintoislampodcast. Again, delving into Islam podcast for all the upcoming announcements. Now, uh, delving into Islam Q&A is a shorter type of episodes where I answer your questions directly. And uh, I'm still traveling. Uh, I mentioned that before. Uh, and that's why I'm not, I did not record the main topics yet, which is, you know, the major signs. And if there's anything that is considered the major topic for this season, uh, and I will keep answering your questions, uh, inshallah. But very soon we will resume with uh, the the main topics. Now today's question comes to us from Curtis. Uh, Curtis uh, is uh, him and his wife, inshallah, are planning on becoming Muslim. This is as uh, you know, as of date where I received the email. Uh, they are planning, inshallah, on taking the shahada and becoming a Muslim. But before then, he has a few questions that he wanted to ask me. And I feel like they are critical to, you know, to address and answer, inshallah. So Curtis is, is asking us, and again, Curtis, thank you so much for your uh, questions. And his first question is, he's saying that, you know, the office work hours are from nine to five. So that makes it very difficult and very challenging to attend the Friday prayers, the Jum'ah prayers, right? And, uh, you know, some places they are, they can't let you take off or take a break during that time, which is, again, usually it's between one fifteen and 2.15, I believe, in most, most places. Uh, and, uh, you know, some places won't even allow it. Uh, you know, some places won't allow it. Some Few, few places would allow it so he's asking like what are you know what is the verdict about that so the first question is very critical because uh the friday prayers as we know is a mandatory act of worship attending for men now we're talking about for men it's mandatory for men who are capable in terms of health in terms of like you know ment mentally they are capable of attending the prayer like they're not you know they're not excused from those who are excused like for example if you're physically if your body you can't move and you cannot attend the prayers then you're not uh, you know required to until you become well and mentally if you're not mentally there you're not required to pray at all because you're not even mentally there but we're talking about those who are supposed men who are supposed to go and pray uh, the Friday prayers, it is mandatory. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually in the chapter of Jum'ah said, Ya ayyuhal ladina amanu idha nudiya lissalati min yawmul jum'ati fas'aw ila dhikrillahi wa dharul bayya. Allah is saying, no matter what you have in your hand, leave it and go for, you know, to attend the Jum'ah prayers and the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, no exceptions. 
If you have a business, close it or have someone else stand, you know, in your business. If you're working, now comes comes the problem is what if you're you're not your own boss, right? If you have a boss and that boss might not most likely won't not allow you to leave around one o'clock. Right, here's the thing. First of all, before I start answering any of the questions that Curtis asked, I, I want to clear two things. Two things make him very clear. These will be our golden rules for this uh, for this topic, for this episode, or for this Q&A episode, right? The first thing is Islam is more important than anything. Anything. What Allah wants. So becoming a Muslim. So, for example, Curtis, I might give you answers that you might find very challenging. And do not let that turn you off from being a Muslim. Again, being a Muslim is the most important thing in your life. And I'm saying this, by the way, not just your life, all of our lives. Dying upon Islam will exempt you from eternity in hellfire. Do you guys understand? This is critical. Critical. Dying upon Islam, being a Muslim, living as a Muslim and dying upon Islam will exempt you, inshallah, from hellfire. So no matter what, if you think there are certain things that are challenging or certain things that you cannot do, it's fine. If Do not let that stop in your way of becoming a Muslim. And I gave the example before of the woman who was married. She was a non-Muslim woman who was married to a non-Muslim man. She became a Muslim. He didn't. And then she said, or she wanted to become a Muslim. He didn't. So she said, okay, can I be a Muslim? Can I be a Muslim and still be married to my husband? Now, what happened is everybody said, no, you can't. So she took it as you can't be a Muslim, which is wrong. No, you can't be a Muslim. However, it's a major sin. It's a major, major sin. She's basically committing adultery because that marriage between her and her non-Muslim husband is uh, null and void in the sight of Allah. It's invalid. Allah does not look at it as actual marriage. She's just living with a complete stranger. However, however. Major sin is far better in the sight of Allah than committing shirk. Because shirk is the worst major sin you can ever commit. Dying upon shirk, there's no, no, no hope for you. Hearing about Islam, knowing about Islam, rejecting Islam and dying upon anything but Islam, eternity in hellfire. It's, it's that simple. Allah was very explicit numerous times in the Quran. So in the sight of Allah... You do not go and tell this woman you cannot be a Muslim unless you divorce your husband. That's that's not the right way. Now, she should divorce her husband. Otherwise, she's committing a major sin every single day. As a matter of fact, every single moment, she's with that, with that husband, right? However, being a Muslim is far better than committing a major sin. Being a Muslim is far better than committing a major sin. So whatever I tell you today, uh, and this is to everyone. Do not let that turn you off from being a Muslim. This being a Muslim is far more important than committing things or doing have having shortcomings or committing sins that you know that while you're being a Muslim. Again, committing sins while being a Muslim is far better than not being a Muslim at all. Now you should not commit the sins because again, we don't know. We don't even want to see hellfire for one day. However. Do you, would you rather see hellfire for one day or like two days or a week or a month or a year or eternity in hellfire? Think about it. Be smart. This is the smart decision. Okay. So that is the point number one. Point number two. 
we as Muslims should sacrifice a lot. Like again, it's life is is a, is a test. We already agreed to that, right? So there will be a lot of sacrifices that we have to make in order for us to obtain a certain level of faith when it comes to Islam. Sacrificing certain things, and again, this is all related to certain things that you know uh, Curtis mentioned. So at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we should understand that Islam is far more important than anything else, and. As Muslims, as believers, we're going to sacrifice certain things for the sake of Allah. So now when it comes to the Friday prayers, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's the first question. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was very explicit. Leave everything and go to pray Jummah. If if you are your own boss, this is easy for you, inshallah. This is not even a question. Now, some people are saying, now, okay, what what about if if I have a boss who is not okay with me leaving around Jummah time? Now, what I did, this is this is what I did. When I went for a job interview uh, a couple of years ago, I during the job interview, I literally said, I on Friday, I'm going to take my lunch break instead of, you know, from 12 to 1. Usually, the, you know, that's the time for a lunch break. I want it from 1 to 2. And since then, and I said, I have, uh, you know, uh, prayers that I have to attend every week. Uh, and uh, again, uh, my boss was changed. And then when a new boss came, I had to explain to him all over what's going on and everything was okay. It's fine. Now, people now are more exposed to Islam than ever. So I don't think this is going to be a problem. So I suggest you tell your boss that you, this is a matter of, because by, by the way, with all the, the rules and regulations right now, it could be considered a discrimination against you as a Muslim if you want to pray and this is your time of prayers and all you're asking for is changing your break time. Uh, everyone has a break, right? An hour break at least during you know work hours. So take the hour during Friday prayers, and that that's that's how I would do it. Uh, if you ca- if you miss one or two, it's fine, but do not miss three because the Prophet said like once you miss three prayers, uh, Friday prayers, you have to read to you retake your shahada because basically you're you lost faith right and you have a problem so try your best to attend every friday prayers and make set up the rules with your boss or with anyone else and inshallah it should be on a lot again at the end of the day you should make sacrifices you should make it a condition of employment i know if you're already employed what are you going to do talk to your boss and if you have a good relationship with your boss just explain to him that this is who I am now, and, and I have to attend those Friday prayers, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows uh, best. Uh, now, the second question is regarding dogs. So, Cur- Curtis is saying that him and his wife, they have dogs, and inshallah, you know, th- th- if they end up accepting Islam, do they have to get rid of the dogs? What did I say about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes first, and you have to make sacrifices. Now, Having dogs in the house prevent angels from walking into your house, from being around you, from inspiring you to do good things, from having tranquility and peace in your house. We're not saying dogs are evil. Dogs are simply impure. And because dogs are impure, angels won't enter the house. And you need angels in your house. I promise you that. 
dogs that, and we have this the famous hadith that someone uh, entered Jannah or will be entering Jannah because they saved a dog and they made them drink and, and fed the dog and all these things so this whole like uh, misconception that Muslims hate dogs that's very inaccurate that's not true Muslims you cannot have dogs in your house where you pray because it makes the house impure then your prayers also because dogs you know they could uh, have waste anywhere in the house and that becomes problematic and again angels do not come into the house so you have two problems you're going to have an impure uh, place to pray in and at the same time you will have angels not coming into your house so if you can give your dog again i know that if you can build them a house outside that would be great if you can put them in a room separate where they no, do not come into your prayer area uh, and again that, that that's again a separate room but not in your house you know what i mean because you want the angels to come into your house but do not let that again turn you off from being a muslim you still can keep your dogs and you will have the, the consequences will be there but again it's better for you to become a muslim than anything else so that is the second question the third question basically uh, curtis is asking do muslims accept any part of the bible the answer is simply yes any part that matches the Qur'an. Any part that matches the Qur'an, and there are a few, but any part that matches the Qur'an does not contradict the Qur'an, we accept because it's in the Qur'an. Our ultimate and only source of religion is the Qur'an as Muslims. That's the only source of religion. Anything that matches that source, that matches the Qur'an, we accept. Anything that contradicts that source, the Qur'an, we reject. It's that simple. So that is question number three. Question number four, uh, Curtis saying that when Ramadan comes during the summer, uh, you know, uh, drinking water is an issue for him. Uh, he does labor work as a mechanic and he basically saying he will be dehydrated. Is it permissible to drink water? Uh and uh, does it void fasting? Of course, yeah. So drinking water, you cannot drink water. While fasting, you cannot drink water nor eat any type of food. No, you cannot consume anything, basically. Not even your toothpaste. When you're brushing your teeth, you still can brush your teeth, but nothing should enter your stomach. Nothing at all. Those who smoke, they think smoke does not make them break their fast. It does. Smoking breaks your fast. Anything, literally anything that enters your stomach is uh, a, a problematic and it voids your fasting. You're not fasting anymore. So again, uh, try drink a lot of water the day before or the night before. And by the way, when you feel sick, if you get sick, you're allowed to eat and then make up that fasting later. If you're sick to the degree that you cannot fast, right? If fasting becomes dangerous for you, health-wise, then you break your fast immediately, but then you have to make it up after Ramadan. Is, is that clear? So again, being dehydrated should not be a problem. You can eat yogurt, by the way, the night before. Drink a lot of water so you don't get dehydrated throughout the day. I believe yogurt makes you, it's, makes you less thirsty throughout the day if you eat it the night before. And so, yeah, there are a, there are a lot of tricks. A lot of numerous, I have a, a, actually I have friends who are mechanics who don't do not uh and again they've been fasting because they, they they were born muslims 
So that's they've been practicing. So I know that Curtis's situation is completely different because this is something new for him. But again, there are little tricks. And if you think that again, fast Allah does not ever want us to jeopardize our safety, uh, our health. So whenever you feel like your your health is in danger then you should immediately break, break your fast. This is from Allah's mercy. And then later on, when you can, right after Ramadan, you should uh, make up those days. So that is uh, that is for the fasting part. Number five, question number five. Uh, some people basically are claiming that uh, hadith uh, has been written hundreds of years after the Prophet ﷺ death. So what makes us believe that they are true? That is actually a very incorrect statement. Whoever make that statement, those people, I don't know, the Quranics, those who are called the Quraniyun, they make those statements. Here's the funny part. First of all, those people who are following the Quran, Quran was written by the was delivered to us by the same people who delivered the hadith, which is the companions and then the tabi'in and then the following, you know, uh, generation after generation after generation. So if they are doubting hadith, then they should doubt Quran as well. But then they claim that they believe the Quran 100%. It's just the hadith that they have a problem with. Right? Now, th- th- that's point number 1. Point number 2, Again, like Quran, hadith was written during the time of the Prophet ﷺ, during the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ. Anyone who claims that it happened hundreds of years after, that's just bogus. That That's very inaccurate. There's actually multiple hadith that actually prove that the Prophet ﷺ, the companions used to write the hadith during the time of the Prophet ﷺ. When one of the companions was writing, I'll give you a little story. One of the companions was writing every single thing that the Prophet ﷺ said. And then, uh, I believe it was Anas ibn Malik. And then, uh, people from Quraysh, new converts, they came to Anas ibn Malik and they said, you write everything that the Prophet ﷺ said or says. And he said, yes. Then they said, what if he gets angry one time and he says something by mistake, like out of anger? He's a human being at the end of the day. So in a hadith, what if he makes a mistake and gets angry? So Anas ibn Malik thought about it and he went to the Prophet ﷺ directly and he said, Oh Prophet of Allah, I have people who told me this and it makes, like they have a point. What if you're angry or you're emotional one day and I'm writing down your hadith? And then you make a mistake or you said something out of anger. Should I still write it? And the Prophet very clearly and very surely told him, write everything I say, meaning every hadith I say, everything that's inspired by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because by Allah, nothing comes out of my mouth except for the truth. I do not get emotional when it comes to hadith. I do not say things out of my own desires. Everything that I tell you, again, regarding inspiration from Allah, regarding the hadith, is 100% correct and the truth. My tongue only speaks the truth by Allah. The Prophet said that. What do we, what's the conclusion out of this? What, what do we understand from this? Companions used to write the hadith all the time during the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ, not waited hundred years or a couple hundred years after. No. So whoever claims this, they're completely wrong. However, those people, that means those people also don't pray. Those people who claim that, they don't know how to pray. Because how to pray, I always say, I, I mentioned this at nauseum on the podcast. How to pray is mentioned in the hadith, not mentioned in the Qur'an. How to pray and when exactly to pray is mentioned in the hadith. Now, we know, alhamdulillah, by the blessings of Allah, 
the authentic hadith are out there. We know what's authentic and what's not. Get any hadith, look it up on Google. Just a simple, look it up online and ask, is this hadith authentic? You're going to find the majority, like everybody out there telling you because we know what is the weak hadith because the scholars basically differentiated the hadith. Authentic, inauthentic, and weak, right? So we know. So alhamdulillah, this is not a hidden information. This is all public information and we know all the authentic hadith out there. So inshallah, there should not be any problem with that. The final question by Curtis is, uh, what is the best resource uh, to learn how to pray? Different websites say different things. How to pray is very simple. How to pray, and, and, and I'm, I, I, I'm not recording this uh, via video, like I'm doing this uh, audio, you know, audio style, so I can't show you how to pray. But how to pray is go and, and, and look up on, on YouTube uh, how to pray for new Muslims, and you're going to find multiple videos and telling you how to do that. You know, for prayers, we know that, you know, the, the, the Fajr prayers are Turakas. And you have to do turakas before, like a sunnah prayers, but they are kind of sunnah that you have to do. Mandatory sunnah. The only kind of what we call the sunnah mu'akkada, a, a, a confirmed sunnah, something that you have to do, is the turakas before fajr. And then you do the turakas of fajr. Now, when you, whenever you pray, you have to, in the first turakas, uh, you pray Surah Al-Fatiha, chapter number one, and then with another surah or a couple of verses from a surah. You don't have to recite a whole surah. You can recite only a couple of verses. But what's mandatory in terms of recitation is for you to recite the first chapter. Surah Al-Fatiha is mandatory. It's a pillar of prayers. If you do not recite Al-Fatiha, then your prayers is not uh, is not valid. Then you choose to, you know, recite a few uh, verses from a chapter or so. So that's before, uh, this is the first turakas. Now, let's say that your prayer is more than turakas. For example, like uh, dhuhr prayers. Dhuhr prayers are four rakas, right? So when you pray the first two prayers, like I said, Fatiha, then you say uh, another small surah or a couple of verses from a surah. That's for the first two rakas. Then after that, mid-tashahud, the tashahud in the middle, you get up and you start reciting only al-fatiha. Only there are no surahs after for the second two rakas. So again, daughter prayers are four rakas. They're divided into two. You split them by something called the mid-tashahud or the half of the tashahud, right? Uh, before the tashahud, the two rakas before, the first two rakas, al-fatiha plus two surahs or couple of uh, verses from uh, surahs. Then after the tashahud, the mid-tashahud, you do only al-fatiha and then you go into ruku'ah. So again, this is the standard rule. Before the, the, the mid-tashahud, any prayers bef- more that, that are more than two rakas. The first two rakas are the fatiha plus whatever the verses you can recite from any surah. Then anything after the two for, the first two verse, uh, the first two rakas, is only the Fatiha. You do not recite anything else until you end the prayers with the final tachahut and the final, you know, tasleem. It's that simple. Again, I know you might not be able to imagine it because this is an audio recording, but inshallah, you can easily, uh, you know, get this. Any YouTube video, inshallah, just put the five daily, how to pray for new Muslims and inshallah, you shall find. And I can send you a link, inshallah, via email. So I hope that answers all your questions, Curtis. And again, if you have any questions, inshallah, 
just let me know and again do not let anything discourage you from being a muslim like if you cannot do any of this if if you think that you cannot attend the friday prayers if you feel that you cannot get rid of your dogs i understand that I get, it's okay being a muslim is more important than you doing these things now you will be rewarded and you won't be sinful if you do again being sinful while being a muslim is far better than not being a muslim at all this is literally we're, we're talking about like eternity and hellfire Versus maybe some punishment Maybe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive you Maybe you will change your heart once you become more religious All of these possibilities But those possibilities won't exist If you don't become a Muslim in the first place So it's it's Again, if you're convinced with Islam Again No one can force you to become a Muslim No one But if you believe Islam is the true religion And it is alhamdulillah But from your perspective once you believe it, once your wife believes that Islam is the true religion, this is key. This is what's important. Anything else follows. Being a Muslim, believing in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the final messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is what's going to save you from eternity in hellfire. I hope that, again, is clear and that answers your question. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.